Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Beginning of the year, they struggled a little bit to find some chemistry, but they're very close friends. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. At the end of the day, you, you, you have to um, you know, do whatever it takes to win, and you know we found a way to get another win, so it doesn't matter how, how, I mean, how it happens. We just got to be a little bit better. Kind of weird. We're the only series that does not get two days in between games. That's kind of weird. Um, but that's why I'm going to uh, get as efficient with my energy as possible in between days. Um, so uh, I was able to uh, get a lot of rest yesterday and look forward to the challenge tonight. All right, so key phrase there, efficient with his energy. Just lay this out. Um, StarTribune.com, our guy Mike Rand, wrote this piece yesterday, playing off an interesting piece a few days ago about LeBron James and how he's been able to conserve energy while logging heavy minutes in the NBA playoffs. I think he talked to Brian Windhorst about this a few days ago about like the question is you're 15 years into this thing and you've played 82 games. You're carrying this team up and down the court. You're playing crazy minutes. You're better than ever. Yeah. How is it possible? And here is part of the piece with, with Mike's uh, opinion woven in then you and I can react to it. The upshot, LeBron spends more time walking instead of running than almost every other player in the NBA. And in the playoffs, he's walking almost a full 80% of the time. And he's flat out taking plays off as well. From ESPN.com, it manifests itself in many ways. For example, during free throws, LeBron will often walk to the other end of the floor. It saves him from having to run when the possession changes. He also, which, think about that, like if, if, if you do that, I don't know, 15 or 20 times throughout the course of a game, however many times there's you know free throws being shot, and you're just like, all right, I'm going to save myself 20 times per night a yeah. sprint to the other end of the court. I'm just going to walk down there. And, uh, and if other people can grab the rebound, then okay. <laughs> so it's actually, it's actually really smart. Uh, he also at times will take himself out of an offensive play and stand on the wing knowing he needs a breather. Quote, it helps having teammates out there who can take a few possessions for you offensively, LeBron said. And you can kind of understand, you can use all the energy on the defensive end for a few uh, possessions. As LeBron unapologetically explained further, it's just about growing, maturing, and understanding that you play smarter. Um, Rand says, what's interesting is the response to this is in stark contrast to how we choose to view other athletes who allegedly take plays off as well. Or, in a more apples-to-apples case, freely admit that they do. Quote from Randy Moss back in 2001 when Judd was at the Star Tribune. I play when I want to play. Do I play up to my top performance, my ability every time? Maybe not. 
I just keep doing what I do, and that's playing football. When I make my mind up, I'm going to get out there and tear someone's head off. When I go out there and play football, man, it's not anybody telling me to play or how I should play. I play when I want to play. Case closed. Bit of a different way of saying it, but is there a comparison? Do you think I, – I disagree with Mike's opinion here. I, I don't think it's comparable, and I have reasons for that, but it's an interesting way to sort of reflect on the way we think about yeah. certain athletes in context. Let's dissect this very carefully here. Uh, first of all, in Mike Rand and the Star Tribune's defense, uh, they, they run into the same problem this time of year that we do, which is it's the dog days of trying to oh, find anything to write know. about or talk about. <laughs> and so this is, this is, uh, but, but I, I've done what Mike is doing here, which is taking, uh, two different scenarios that come close enough to try and compare them and say, is there a comparison here? But this is very, very simple. LeBron James very thoughtfully is explaining how, at his age, playing an entire season in which he did not miss a game, by the way, he is conserving himself to be as successful as possible. And he's doing it in a very articulate way that, that, is, not, that is not in any way defiant, but actually you, you read his quote and you say, that's pretty smart. In fact, it's very smart. Randy Moss at that age and at that time was being completely defiant. And don't forget that I want to say this whole Moss thing started, I think, going back now, I believe it started when I was doing the media column and I talked to Merle Hodge, who was one of the first guys to break down film. Now it's commonplace. But, we were at like 7 in the morning on ESPN. It yeah, was Edge, NFL matchup. Exactly. Jaworski was on that and, show. And it was just becoming a big deal to break down film. And uh, I talked to, I forget why I talked to him, but I talked to him for the column and he's the one that said, it was a game in Chicago at Soldier Field. And he said, I, I just got done watching Moss. And there's plays he doesn't do a thing. He, If the play wasn't called, if the pass wasn't called to go to him, he wouldn't block. He would stand there, and the play would take place, and he would stand there. And so I think that that then caused Sid to go talk to Moss. And Moss, the defiance of Moss's quote is the key thing here. If LeBron James had told Wendy, hey, Brian, come here. <laughs> yeah, LeBron. Let me make this very clear. When you see me walking down that court, that's because I play when I want to play. Yeah. This is entirely different. And and that was the headline of Sid's column. That was what he said right here. He came out, his first sentence is, I play when I want to play. So what this is to me is, as a person, how do you present it? Do you present Do you present how, how you go about your craft in a professional way to say, I played 82 games. I'm playing an entire playoff series. I I am this team. I'm not carrying this team. I am this team. And therefore, here's what I'm doing to stay fresh, which is what James does very much here. Or do you do what Moss did? He was young, brash, defiant, and didn't give a damn what you or I thought. And so his whole thing was, I'm going to tell you right now, if you see me not blocking against the Bears, that's because I don't want to. Yeah, I think tact is the word that fits here. Do you have tact? But also... For NBA players, fatigue is a real problem once you get up into 35, 40, 45 minutes. And for LeBron, who plays around 90% of his team's available minutes, this is a guy who in the playoffs will oftentimes play. I think he averaged like 41 minutes. He averaged like, he played more minutes in the NBA than any player in the league this year. Um, And so, like, he's playing 42, 44 minutes in these playoff games of a possible 48. And that's, so let's call it 90% of available minutes. In the NFL, 
players are only on the field for like 50% of the game clock, and then they also get plenty of rest. They get 40 seconds of rest between plays. Not to say that you're not getting tired. Obviously, if you're a pass rusher or you're sprinting up and down running routes as a wide receiver, but like Randy Moss, as great as he was, is outing himself 17 years ago in that quote as being lazy and temperamental, right? Yeah. I'll play when I want to play. Yes, he's being defiant. And Chris Carter also had kind of the same. Chris Carter was also mentioned in the article from 17 years ago saying, yeah, like, players don't try hard on every play. Mm-hmm. LeBron is explaining, like you said, how he stays on the court for 44 minutes and 82 games in his 15th season. So right. not offended by it at all. And LeBron's explaining. He's not saying, hey, get out of my face. Like, I'll play when I want to play. I'm a LeBron bleeping James, which is what Randy Moss was saying. Yep. If Randy Moss had come out and said, you know what, I'm going to be honest. It gets really tiring running routes, especially because I'm running longer routes oftentimes. When they ask me to go on a, a fly pattern down the sidelines and I'm running like 50 yards at a full sprint, that's really tiring. Like, think about how tired you would be if you just ran a full sprint right now 50 yards down the field. So, in order to make up for that, I don't want to come off the field because then the defense doesn't have to account for me. I want to stay on the field and I want to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm getting my rest so that I can run the next route. Like, if he had explained it in a more strategic way, but for like the argument, well, if LeBron is if he's if that tired, then why doesn't he just sit for five minutes? Because the defense wouldn't have to account for him. Yeah. If he's standing in the corner, the, the defense the Cavs, has to go account for him. Because the Cavs are going to lose that. Right. If you replace LeBron with like some random slappy but, who stands in the corner, like Rodney Hood, who can shoot some threes, but you can let him drift around, right? But so. Moss at, at the time of this quote was twenty four. He was a kid, and he was he basically didn't like the fact that that he was being called on the carpet for clearly at times not trying. Yeah, I wouldn't say I. I would say if this conversation is about what's the difference, you never think to yourself, LeBron's not trying. You think to yourself, he's being smart, economical, right? With Moss, he's basically saying, when I don't try, or or if I'm not going to be involved, if it's a run play, if it's a run play and you want me to go 15 yards down the field and block, bleep you. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. I just think. But I give. But. Mike Rand is doing what we all do at this time of year, which is say, ah, this quote's intriguing. Can we compare it to that quote? Like, it's amazing that LeBron is to a point where everything is so slow for him. He sees all of the angles. He understands all the players and the nuances. And and he's also studied, he studied fatigue and he studied all these things to the point where, okay, if I just sort of like, if there's 15 or 20 times per game where I can pace myself and walk to the other other end of the court while free throws are being shot. And I'm, I'm sure there's other players who think that way too, but because some people might say, well, why he's a good rebounder. Why doesn't he get in there and mix it up and try and grab a rebound off a free throw? He's like, well, I could do that, but the chances of me grabbing that rebound are probably like 10 or 15%. And it's not I'd rather it. conserve the energy to be a beast in the fourth quarter. If Moss had I come, love it. If Moss had come back here uh, and, and still been productive in 2010, and he had called a reporter aside and said, I'm going to explain that quote now. You know, it's 2010. I am in my, what, by by that point, 12th year. And I still have the same concept, but here's why. And he broke it down. I think we all would, would have said at that point, that's pretty smart, mm-hmm. right? He's 12 years in. It's not that he's not trying, but there are certain times that you definitely try really hard. And then there's going to be times where you're like, okay, I could try hard here, but it might not be a great idea because at this point I'm 30 plus. So I think if you explain yourself, which James does here, I think you say to yourself, you know what, that guy's a great player and it makes a lot of sense. Another example is pitchers. So athletes have a certain bandwidth mentally and physically, like you can't just 
go all out. It's like when you're playing a video game and there's like a, a fatigue meter, right? Uh, like athletes have that. And for some guys, LeBron, his tank is more full because he's just a freak of nature. And for other guys like uh, Nikola Pekovic, like he can only play a certain amount of time before his body breaks down, right? Near E all the time. And for pitchers, it's the same. I bet you if you were to ask pitchers, knowing that you have whatever it is for each individual pitcher, a a starting pitcher, 105 or 120 pitches-ish worth of gas in your tank. Mm -hmm. Well, you... If you were to throw as hard as you could on every single pitch, that number would be like 40 or 50 pitches. Boy, you're about, yeah. Like Craig Kimbrell couldn't. The reason why Craig Kimbrell can't pitch that way for seven innings and 100 pitches is because, yeah, he, right. his arm would fall off his body. So even pitchers within certain games would probably tell you, you know what, there's certain, if, if we're up by three runs in the second inning and I'm facing the number eight hitter and, I, am I, and I'm up 0-1, like I'm probably not going to rear back on this next fastball. I'm just going to try and put it in a place where he's going to hit a weak ground ball at third base. Do we get mad at pitchers? Well, you're not throwing. Hey, you're not throwing the ball as hard as you could. Like, why aren't you giving full energy? Why aren't you snapping that but, slider off? But if the pitcher was was a defiant person and came out and said, "I'll throw hard when I want to," yeah, throw I'm not going to try all the time. We'd be like, "Whoa, yeah." It's it's all about framing all in and tact. presentation. Yep. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Roy Smalley will join in about 15 minutes. Matthew Collar later on on football things, too. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. You understand? On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play. On 1500 ESPN. Thanks to the Super Bowl. Thanks to the Super Bowl. Thanks to the Super Bowl. Score. Kirk Cousins going to get the job done. That's all I got to say. So, Harrigan, you found this on the USA Today for the Win blog. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So, the uh, there's a website called playoffpredictors.com, which I, I clicked on it. It is it's very confusing. I know it's like a it's like a season simulator site. You can like simulate the season. Like I just did a simulation and randomized it, and the Vikings finished with a wild card spot, nine, six, and one. They That's like baloney. tied a game. They have a bunch of ties in here, and they've got Cleveland at ten and six. What? And the and the Steelers at four and twelve. I don't. I'm confused as to like what their range of outcomes is. So our simulation was different when we just clicked randomize. But the USA Today for the Win blog has a different result. They plugged in every single game into PlayoffPredictors.com. Have full standings for the NFL. Yeah. And have a full playoff bracket. Mm-hmm. We're going to go through it right now. The suspense, gentlemen. The suspense. Okay. In the NFC East, Eagles winning the division 11 and 5. Sure. That's fair. We're going to skip skip the North here. That's fair. Uh, they got the Panthers and the Saints both at 11 and 5 in the NFC South. Falcons yeah. at 9 and 7. That's Cowboys, by the way, 10 and 6 in the East. Uh, they've got the Rams, not too shocking, 12 and 4 over the 9 and 7 49ers, 8 and 8 Seahawks. The Vikings, 13 and 3. There you go. Another 13 win season. 13 and 3. Getting to be the norm around, around the bold north, huh? Wow. Just, uh, just edging the Packers, who, according to this, have the second best record in the NFC at 12 and 4. So they beat up on the division. Let's see if their quarterback can stay healthy. Yeah. Anthony Barr might have something to say about that. In the AFC, the Patriots go 14 and 2 against a horrible rebuilding division. Steelers 11 and 5 in the AFC North. Jaguars 11 and 5 over 9 and 7 Colts and Titans. 
Chargers 12 and 4. Philip Rivers last stand, perhaps. Oh, nice. Chiefs 10 and 6, which leads us to the playoffs, gentlemen. Good football in Los Angeles there next season, huh? By the way, here's the write up for wow. the NFC North. A healthy Aaron Rodgers gets the Packers back in playoff contention, but Green Bay eventually loses a season long battle with the Vikings for the NFC North. Meanwhile, competitive Lions and Bears teams fight to avoid last place and end up with identical 6 and 10 records that don't accurately represent the talent level. On both rosters. Good division, huh? All right. By the way, we should mention the Vikings' losses in their 13-3 and season. They lose at home to the Saints Week 8. They lose home to the Packers Week 12. And on the road at Seattle Week 14. So, But just three of them. Just those just three. three. All right, so that's at, it. At home to the Packers. Yes, they beat the Packers on the road Week 2, but okay. lose at home. So here are the playoff predictions, gentlemen. The Vikings don't play in the first round because they went 13 and 3. That's the norm now. Home field advantage. This team's done playing first round playoff games. Saints beat the Eagles in an upset. The six seed Saints upset the Eagles in the first round of the playoffs. I like that a lot. And uh, the Panthers beat the Packers in that 4 5 game, setting up a Vikings Saints rematch in the second round of the playoffs at U.S. Bank Stadium again, where the Vikings prevail. I don't know if you can cl- I, I can't find the score. Is there a score for that game? Do you have a score I, for that game? I don't have a score, no. But the Vikings beat the Saints again to get back to the so, NFC Championship. So game. the Saints win here during the regular season, but the Vikings come back and beat them when it matters most. Okay. Right, which, you know, that's fine. Rope-a-dope them. Rope-a-dope that's them. Fine. Make them feel no, comfortable. No exactly. That. I could see that. Uh, with the Rams beating the Panthers to set up a Vikings Rams NFC Championship game from U.S. Bank Stadium. That's a good right? ball game. Oh, that's a classic. Let's pause the NFC there and go over to the AFC, according to the For the Win blog. The suspense USA is starting to get okay. to me. We're flipping conferences. Here we go. Jaguars beating the Titans at home uh-huh. in the first round of the AFC playoffs. Titans, okay. Steelers beating the Chiefs. At home, setting up Patriots-Steelers from Foxborough and Chargers-Jaguars from Los Angeles. Interesting matchups. Jags making another decent run here. They are. But according to this playoff prediction, the home teams hold serve, setting up a Phillip Rivers-Tom Brady AFC Championship game. Oh, boy. From Boston. LA's got to go all the way across the country. This is tough. With the Patriots edging the Chargers in that game to get to oh. the Super Bowl oh, I feel once again. bad for Phillip Rivers right now. But the good news is the Vikings, according to this prediction, usatoday.com, beat the Rams in the NFC Championship game at home this yes, time. Yes, we're going to Atlanta, Skull, baby! baby. Skull, Vikings-Patriots in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. Dynasty Patriots against a Vikings team looking for its first Super Bowl championship. Best defense in the NFL against best quarterback this of all time. Has to have a happy ending. What do you think happens? Has to be a happy ending, right? You well, got two weeks to figure out how to get to Brady. Let's do it. Right, yeah, Zimmer, all right. Zimmer's defense. Yeah, Kirk Cousins. I mean, come on, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen. Yeah, so much firepower. Right. Yeah. Well, here's the write-up according to the simulation. With two weeks to prepare for Mike Zimmer's defense, Tom Brady and the Patriots' offense put up 30 points. Bill Belichick allows Dalvin Cook to run wild, but Cousins plays a terrible game, throwing three interceptions. What? It's another great game plan from the Patriots coach. New England wins 30-16 to as Belichick and Brady collect their sixth ring. No. No. Why did it have to end like that? A two-touchdown game? 
Do any birds die flying into the stadium down there? I think Atlanta fixed that problem. You got any birds flying into the Mercedes-Benz Stadium? If the season played out like that, would you rather them just not make the playoffs? Oh, no. No. No, I love I think a lot of Vikings fans would say, you know what, spare me the masochism, just... Go oh, eight and eight and miss no. the playoffs. No, I'm all for what just happened. Plus, to hang 0-5 in Super Bowls on the wall, I mean, that's something to really cherish. Yeah. Are there any 0-5 teams, or would they be the first? Because the Bills are 0-4. Uh, Denver's lost five, right? But they've also they've lost they've five. Won they've also won, won, yeah. two but they've or three, won three of them. But they've won Super so Bowls. So there are no 0-5. The, no, the, the Bills and the Vikings are no. the only 0-4 teams. No, mm-hmm. I think the only five lost wow. Super Bowl teams then would be Denver and Minnesota with Buffalo having the four. Yeah. Damn. Oh, but the Rams Vikings NFC Championship game. We're calling the days in the seventies from Met Stadium when those two teams would play. Yeah. The stories, the build up, the hype, the complete disappointment and carnage that would follow the loss it of the would, Super Bowl. It would be even outside of Minnesota. It would be a great. It would be a great Super Bowl. Like the, there's so many storylines. The fact that you can play up. The Patriots and the most successful franchise in history against this wily Coyote franchise. And so Cousins throws three picks. Yes, and then Matthew Collar writes a big "I told you so" column. Yeah, I was going to say ESPN.com. The next day, Collar's column, and then we get condescending just, Judd the next day on well no, some other station no, maybe, but no, I would. <laughs> hey, I'm coming to you on uh, 1412, it's my ham radio. AM 1500, smooth jazz, where yep. Judd's going to give you the smooth jazz. I just Vikings bought this take CB smooth set. Vikings take of the day. I bought the CB set, and I'm talking to all the truckers out there. <laughs> breaker, breaker, big boy. Let me tell you what happened to Vikings yesterday. Oh, God. All right. So that was you know we should do a simulation like that every day until the Viking season starts. What do yeah, you say? I like it. That's what do you say? Miserable idea. All right. No, I love it. We'll see. Roy Smalley is going to join to talk some baseball when we come back. Uh, right now at Luther Brookdale Toyota, which is on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, they have a couple great deals on SUVs. Uh, the Rav Four, which is one of the most popular SUVs in the world right now, the 2018 has upgraded interior, Entune System 3.0, upgraded safety features. You get the spaciousness of an SUV, but also the handling of more of like a Camry or a Corolla. $259 a month on a lease right now with no money down at signing. So think about that. That's a true zero lease with nothing down at signing. You walk in, you do the paperwork, and then you get into one of the best SUVs in the world. If you're looking for something a little more spacious in the SUV department, a Highlander, you can get 0% financing for 60 months on a Highlander right now. You can test drive either one of these bad boys until 9 o'clock tonight. On the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, uh, they've been friends of my family for decades and decades and a place that I've taken multiple vehicles to over the course of 17 years. Again, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. The thing that you can't overlook is how good they are. Mackey and Judd. They've been at the forefront. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former Twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. All right, Twins looking to make it uh, six in a row now. Actually, it should be six. They should have won that game last Thursday against the White Sox. Paul's still you. bitter about that. But, I know. Uh, but they've, they've got it going. Before we talk Twins and dive into uh, the resurgence here, Roy, I, I made a note. I wanted to ask you if you had any stories or if you had anything uh, you could share with us. What it, what it was like to play for manager Yogi Berra with the Yankees in the 80s. <laughs> 
Uh, you know what? Doing anything with Yogi Berra was a blessing. So, um, you know, he was a, he, he wasn't um, as I don't want to say accessible. He was different as a coach. There was a lot more individual conversation when um, with uh, between Yogi and me when uh, when he was a, a, a coach. I've, I've told you some of some of those uh, stories. I, I'm sure it. Um, but uh, as a manager, he was obviously a little bit more preoccupied with other things. So most of the stories that I have about about Yogi have to have to do with my interactions with him as a coach. Was uh, did he have a teaching style, or did he use Yogiisms in his teaching? Like what? You no, know, he did use Yogiisms. He, he couldn't help it. Um, he uh, I was. Uh, uh, he wanted me to watch George Brett hit, take bag practice one time. I was uh, a couple of different times. I was, uh, you know, in a, in a bit of a slump. And the Royals were in town one time, and we were standing in the dugout, and and uh, George was hitting, it, taking batting practice. And Yogi came over and he, and he put his arm around my shoulders. He said, "Now watch this guy," and he's pointing out this or that. And uh, he said, you, "You see what I'm talking about?" I, go, I said, "Yeah, I do. I, 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 that makes that makes a lot of sense." And he, he looked at me. It, dead serious. It says, you know, you you can't see a lot by looking. And <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, there's just proof today, just now. I mean, that's. Yeah. And one time, he, one time I was in a slump, and, and I was like over sixteen or something, and or eighteen, and he came up and again put his arm around me. And says, you're kind of struggling, ain't you, kid? And I said, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm scuffling like a dog here. I said, I said, you wouldn't know about that. You were never in a slump. And he goes, oh yeah. I look. I got in slumps. I was over thirty-two once, and I and that got my interest. I said, "Well, how'd you get out of it?" He said, "I hit a home run." Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. It was yeah. very simple, Yogi. Great. Great. Let me try that. Hey, so Roy, since we've gone down this path, were you uh, were there for, for the Brett Pintar game? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I played in that game. What was that like? Because that's that's still. I mean. I don't think in baseball, aside from actual fights with teams, I don't think I've ever seen a human being as enraged as uh, as Brett was at um, McClelland, if I'm correct, the, the home plate umpire who called him out for Pintar being too high on his bat. Yeah, it was uh, Tim McClelland, and uh, you could see the you could see George Payson in the dugout. You, you knew the explosion was going to happen. He was he had he had worked his way up to be. Uh, if they had gone uh, against him, which it did, um, he was gonna he, he was gonna kill somebody. And and uh, you know you understand why. I mean, Goose Gossage comes in to pitch to him. It's two guys on or whatever it was late in the game, and and uh, he threw him a you know high ninety eight mile an hour fastball, and George just I mean just crushed it. I mean it was just a just a wonderful one on one performance by by you know a Hall of Fame hitter, and you know to have that. You know, taken away from him was 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 terrible. I, but you know, the thing was, that according to the rule, it yep. was it was correct. It was the correct call. I mean, the umpire, you know, made the correct call. You could only have pine tar up uh, on the bat so far, uh, and not pass the label. And George's bat was severely pine tarred, and he made the right call. But what was it, it? Ultimately, you know, the commissioner overturned it, and I got in a lot of trouble actually, um, or some trouble, because. Um, after the commissioner overruled it and said, "Well, yeah, that's the rule, but it's not really the spirit of the rule," and you know, so do, you know, given the spirit of what we, you know the rules meant to be, we're gonna we're gonna overturn it. And I, when a New York reporter asked me about that, and I said, "Well, I wasn't aware that we had two rule books. I've read the other the one rule book. I haven't read the spirit of the rule book rule book yet." You know, and and I got I I got in some. 
trouble for saying that. But I did agree with the commissioner. I just couldn't help being a little snarky about it. Sure. But I, but I, but I agreed with the commissioner's ruling there. How, how long had Martin uh, identified the pine tar being too, too high? Because I take it that he didn't just you know see it during that at bat, that that was probably something in his arsenal for a while that he, he was just going to bang him with. Out. I remember someone pointing that out to Billy. Um, and, um, you know, Billy's all about that kind of stuff. Yep. A little uh, he was. And, and uh you know, much like Gene Mock was. I mean, they knew every 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 single uh, phrase in the in the rule book, and and someone pointed that out to Billy. And Billy was all about it. He couldn't wait to he couldn't wait to drop that on George if something bad happened. Of course, something really bad did happen. I feel like that's percolating to maybe happen in a playoff game or a big game with a reliever in pi- like the pine tar under the bill of the hat. I mean, if you wanted to check every pitcher, I mean, there's a reason why pitchers adjust their cap. A lot of them have a little thing of just for grip. But if you, I feel like a manager could do that if he wanted to. Hey, you know what, uh, Craig Kimbrell, we don't really want to face him today. Why don't you go check the underside of his cap, ump? Right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do about that. There's a part of me that really says, you know what, um, let pitchers let let pitchers get a better grip on the ball. I'm, I'm kind of. I mean, they all cheat anyway, and and um, you know, it, it, and it's it's only cheating because it's it's a questionable uh, rule. Uh, you know, they have. They have rosin out there, um, which is a you know is a foreign substance that has been okayed since time immemorial, and you know maybe pine tar, you know, maybe a little bit of pine tar ought to be, you know, ought to be available. I I don't think the Vaseline should be approved, but I, but you know maybe uh, if hitters can use uh, pine tar and and all kinds of stuff, then maybe maybe pitchers uh, uh, pitchers can. I my question about it is. You know how much and how much gets on the ball and all that kind of stuff. So there's some, pardon the expression, <laughs> sticky things to um, to figure out. But um, you know, I, I'd hate to. It, I mean, it, it's just part of the game. You know, it, Jim Bunning. Remember the pitcher Jim Bunning for the yeah. Uh, Phillies? Phillies, yeah. It, yeah, he he pitched for uh, for Mock uh, uh, in the uh, early '60s and was you know the the main starter. He, he had Chris Short in 1964 when the Phillies almost won, and then you know, and then lost their last however many games in a row in the last two weeks. But uh, I was a kid back then and living in L.A. And when Mock would come out with the Phillies, you know, we'd go out to the Dodger Stadium and watch all the games. And he'd let me hang out in the in the dugout in the you know locker room. I was eight, nine, ten years old at the time, and the bunting was so good. And I was as asking Gina about him, and he said, "Well, you know." Uh, the funny thing about it is, you see that pine tar bucket over there, and I said, "Yeah." He said, "Before the game, at the appropriate time, he'll go in and stick his whole left hand in that bucket. He just immerses his left <laughs> hand in the bucket, and then he, he he pulls it out, lets it drip until it's uh, you know until it, it's dry, and uh, then he uh, he goes out there." And puts his left hand in the glove, and and uh, every once in a while, when he needs to rub up a baseball, he takes the glove, puts it under his arm, <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, oh. that white baseball is uh, his awful brown going up there with that curveball. <laughs> oh my gosh! There's been some great, there's been some great cheating going on in baseball forever and ever. That's part of the, I for me, that's part of the, part of the charm of the game, and and uh, so I have I have mixed emotions about whether I want to see pitchers actually able to. 
use pine tar legally or whether I want them to continue to cheat. I don't know. The bullfrog and sunscreen, the sunscreen and rosin thing is great because it like you're in a dome stadium and you see the pitcher's forearm glistening, and then that thing gets a <laughs> it gets whistled and and really like players are hesitant to talk about it because they're all looking around. There was a couple pitchers in the Twins clubhouse like I mean I don't, we all do it. I don't want to. Well, Gaylord, know. right ba- back in, oh, God, in your Gaylord day, was, Gaylord load Gaylord up the ball. Was the best. Gaylord was the absolute, absolute best because, you know, he had it everywhere except where, you know, you looked for it. He would, he would stare in, you know, and he'd be, he'd be uh, you know, combing his hair and adjusting his hat and, you know, moving his hair back behind his ears and all this kind of stuff, doing all this fidgety stuff, you know, acting like he was loading up. And he never had it there. You never, you know, you never knew. He had it on his pant leg and, you know, different, you know, inside his belt, you know, in all, all different kinds of places. But... But where he was trying to make you think it was a psych out, you know, it was a it was a mental thing more than as much as anything with Gaylord. But I'll tell you a great story uh, uh, about Gaylord. When I he got traded over and I was playing shortstop for for Texas and Jim Sundberg was the catcher and so he wanted to go over the signs and and he had five he, five signs. He wanted he said he, I'm I'm sitting in on it because I want to know I need to know what this what the pitches are, you know, if if he uh, gets a guy on second base and all that and. And um, so he said, two and five are fastballs, and um, one is a um, is a sinker, and three is a breaking ball. And Sonny and I look at each other, and, and so finally Sunshine said, "We're both young guys, and Gaylord's this whole you know older guy, veteran." And Sonny says, "Okay, I'll ask. What's number four? <laughs> and Gaylord goes, uh, four, That's a yin yin." Wait, a what? And and you he guys didn't say, he didn't want to say spitter out loud. Oh, he didn't want to say yeah. Oh, okay. So so he was <laughs> so he just wasn't going to tell you what what it was. It was yeah, just supposed to be assumed. Kind of like well, what the hell you think it is? I mean, <laughs> Don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> two and fire fastball. One's a sinker. Three's a slider. Oh, what's four? Four is a. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, the the Twins go to Chicago, Roy, and win uh, th- three or four. Probably sh- should have swept that series. And I, I told Phil, I said, okay, that's nice, but the White Sox aren't good. I said, you, you go to St. Louis and California and win, and and I'll, I'll be impressed. I will give you this: when you go to the Cardinals and win two, to me, that signifies that uh, that things, if they they've not completely turned around, are well on the way to turning around. Yeah, I, I think for sure. I mean, it was only a matter of time before uh, Rosario and Kepler and and uh, some of these guys started swinging the bats uh, really well, and only a matter of time before that rotation started pitching. The starting rotation started pitching well, and once the, once the guys go you know six innings instead of four and a third, then the bullpen rolls fall into line, and and you know this is a good team. It, it's a good starting staff. It's a good uh, bullpen. Uh, guys can catch the ball and and they're going to hit and um, so I, I you know I just think the uh, the worry was a little bit uh, a little bit overblown. I the Angels are a very good team and to beat the Angels on out there is going to be difficult. If they can if they can escape with two of at least two out there, it will be one heck of a road trip. And all I really all I'd really like to see is that they're at least 500 by the end of May. If they're if they're a 500 ball club at the end of May. And some of these guys start uh, getting healthy again, Sano and Buxton and Irvin Santana. I mean, then then you got a race, you know. Then if you're 500 at the end of, of May, you're going to be close enough 
and uh, then the talent, you know, the rest of the year, the talent can start being what it is. Yeah, they also get maybe the best defensive outfielder in the world back sometime this weekend, and it's it's amazing how sometimes you just take for granted on a on a fly ball to shallow outfield or in the gap that Byron Buxton the last two years has just parked under it, and that hasn't been the case when he's been out. There's definitely a difference. There's no question about it, and it's no uh, denigration of, uh, of Max Kepler playing center field. He's a wonderful outfielder and, and uh, a real asset in right field. It's just uh, that nobody – it's already been proven. As you say, no one's like Byron Buxton. So there's an energy uh, – even when Byron's hitting you know, sub-200 at, at the plate, I mean, there's an energy when he's in the lineup. There's an anticipation of good things happening when he's in the lineup. And I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever experienced that before. The guy, even when he's hitting the buck 96 – uh, you want him in the lineup because the anticipation of him doing something that you shake your head and say, wow, is that fun? Either defensively a lot or even when he's not swinging the bat offensively, it just if he puts the ball in play anywhere uh, and, and, and gets to start running, uh, there, something, something really cool is likely to happen. So, you know, it, there, there is a different energy when he's in the lineup. Yeah. Great stuff, Roy. We'll do it again next week. See you guys. Yeah. Uh, Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North. That's great. He wouldn't say spitball. <laughs> He's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> just put the sign down. Hey, don't want to incriminate hey, Sunbird, yourself. Just put the sign down, okay? <laughs> Ball's going to have a lot of spit and Vaseline yeah. on it. And, like, this is where if players don't have a problem with it, when, when the sunscreen and rosin thing came out a few years ago, it was like four years ago, and it was a pitcher in Toronto. So they're playing indoors, and he had just a glistening. It was too much. It was just... It was almost, if there's a glob of pine tar on your neck, like it was Michael Pineda, who's now a twin, yep. uh, he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, yep. and you and it's just so obvious, and you're on TV, and, and then you maybe you make a manager, but ultimately, players don't, the hitters don't care. The hitters are like, I feel safer if But that's to get a grip rip. on the ball. Yeah. Where Gaylord was just trying to load up the spitball. Yes. <laughs> well, there's a bit of a difference. <laughs> yes. Now, some of these guys who can snap off 12 to 6 curveballs, and they're getting an additional grip on the baseball, okay. That's that's a that's maybe a problem. Like Craig Kimbrell, look at that guy's hat. So on top of just being filthy, he's also probably using Reaver's something. favorite pitcher, you mean? He just hangs his. Yeah, he thinks Craig Kimbrell is a tool, insufferable. To put it nicely, he thinks he's yeah. a tool. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer too. Guy's ridiculous. Um, like he's he has a career ear and or two. I'll do, yeah. do whatever you want when you're that good. Uh, Matthew Collar will talk some football with us in the new Mackie and Jeff from the TCL broadcast. Bill Mackie, Judd Zolgad. You do. Are beacons of radio perfection. Mackie and Judd. I, I love you guys. On 1500 ESPN. Join 1500 ESPN and Twin Cities in Motion this Thursday for a post-race festival after running along the riverfront in, in, uh, in Minneapolis. <laughs> in the Medtronic Twin TC one mile. Find 1500 ESPN. At Mill City Museum. And, and by the way, this Thursday, we're talking about tonight. It's the J.P. Morgan Chase & Company Post-Race Festival. That's where we will be. And in addition to all the 1500 ESPN swag, there'll be a cash bar, food trucks, DJ, and more. Head to 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events for more details. But it's the Medtronic TC One Mile tonight along the riverfront, downtown Minneapolis. Boom. It's a lot of running. It's really just one mile. The, the whole point is you could run this without lot. training. That's still a lot of like one mile. Judd, could you run a mile? I don't know if right I could like, full speed run a mile. Right, right now. now, I could definitely, I would think I would drop before a mile. I could walk it, 
Uh, there have been times in the past. On, there there have been times in the past where I could run 90. it, but I could. I I think if I tried to run a mile straight tonight, I think you'd be picking me up off the uh, ground. How many? What you you ran a marathon? Was it three years ago? Uh, twenty fourteen. I've done two of them, but twenty fourteen was number yeah. two. Yes. What is it like? So talking to two guys who like barely can right. do two miles on an elliptical without passing out. out. You're gonna tire me out. What's it like in mile twenty twenty two of a marathon, knowing that you've probably never run that far before in your life, even through training, right? Like you get to twenty miles in training. Is that true? Yeah. If I mean, unless you're a serious pro, I mean, you're looking at twenty twenty two is about your max. Yeah. You do that about two weeks before the actual marathon and taper down. So what is that experience when you're in mile twenty three? Like, what does your body feel like? What's going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, you're just very tired, obviously. Your legs are aching. When you get to, at least for me, the hardest part was probably between about miles, I'd say 16 to 20. Okay. Because obviously you've been running for quite a long time. Yeah. But you've still got a long way to go. You realize you're still 10 miles away at number 16. Oh, For me, when I hit 20... It felt like it was real. You know, you're in the 20s. You're going to finish at 26.2. So, if, uh, all right, I can do this. I can it's, make it well, that's you know, like And then you can start doing the math. It's it's just a 10K from this point. Or, oh you know, you God. get to 23. It's just a 5K. It's just three miles. That's a light run on a Tuesday night. That's nothing, even though you feel like your absolute hell. And, your, yes. Were your nipples bleeding? Uh, not in that run. They have blood on other runs. Well, it's... Oh. Yeah, Not badly, gonna... but you know, you get to the point where okay, well, let's stop so and when, grab a band aid or something. When do you uh, initially start to feel tired? Like ten miles in? Like like what's the first part where you're like, I don't think I should have done this? If I've if you've trained well for a marathon, it was probably like I said that sixteen to twenty. Okay, so points. it takes that long. That's pretty good actually. Yeah, I mean, I would think it about. 10 miles, you'd be like, ugh, that was, that was a mistake. I remember feeling pretty at good bar. at the halfway point, getting there and thinking, all right, halfway done. And then you, you know, you get to that point of, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm, like I said, I'm 16 in and I still got 10 more to See, go. I just remember when I, like, paying attention, watching my first marathon where I'm, where you go and like root someone on. And, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, it was, it was the 2013 Boston Marathon, which like, you know, like we Did were a block and a half well, away from, yeah. from that explosion. But, before that happened, we were up at Heartbreak Hill cheering on some of our friends, which is they put this uphill, horrible climb between like miles. It's like 16 to 20 or something. Or, Viciously mean. And uh, yeah, and they call it Heartbreak Hill because obviously people just sometimes people can't make it past mile 20. But I had never really keyed in at that point in a marathon on what people look like after three or four hours. And it's like I had to elbow one of my friends like, what? Why do some of these runners with uh, like white shirts look like their nipples are like? It's like they have like little blotches by their. And he's like, they do. That's because their nipples are bleeding. And you don't want. And you definitely do not want to look down. From what I'm told, sometimes yeah, we saw that too. Where they run by and then you get a glimpse. Yeah, that would not be. That would. But you can stop. They do have porta potties, right? Oh yeah. You can. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Just saying, like, but anything that causes you to, I don't just you know. No no one's ever. No one's ever watched a marathon. And watched what the people look like after about mile 16 or 20 and thought to themselves, I really need to do yeah. this. You know what I'm doing next? <laughs> Run a marathon. This looks on, like boys. a lot of fun. Sign up. Let's oh go. God. This October. Maybe that's one of our football picks punishments. No. 
I no, mean, that would be a mistake. Like a Judd? No, no, no. Are it would be kidding? terrible, but come on. Are you kidding? Well, I mean, <laughs> no, Phil, I might actually you're die. staring at a punishment that you need to serve I know, from this past I season. Know, I, I might actually I die. And it so. is, and the, and the Twin Cities Marathon is around that time. It's yeah. like October, right? I have so, no interest in... I, would be, it would I have be no interest in purposely expiring. Oh, then... Pick winners, Judd. If I if I expire, I want it to be a fluky thing that where I just drop. Not I tried to you run a marathon, Actually, I died. The marathon might, you know, there's like three or four ways you could die in a marathon. Your heart could give out. You could get hit by a car. You know, you take the wrong turn or something. Mm-hmm. The worst is you're delirious after like mile three. The worst and is you, is you take a turn down a side street. Always the story that you hear about a guy who gets you know crosses the finish line. Right, great moment. And you know he's staggering, and then he have to, you know, Ted, this is fantastic. And then Ted drops dead. That would, that would just suck. But Ted accomplished well, a yeah, goal. At least you finished. No, I know. But then you're like, I finished. Oh, bang! And then you're dead. You wouldn't have to worry about that. It would happen before the finish line. I've read about folks that cross the finish line and just <laughs> drop over. That's it for them. Judd would get to Calhoun and say, you know, I'm just gonna hang. I'm good. Oh, I'd stop at a bar. Yeah. I'd, I'd, Pull I would Rosie Ruiz. I would yeah. Rosie Ruiz to the bar, though, not the subway. I'd be like, that's a, not a bad little pub across the street from Calhoun. Uber yeah. me to the cathedral. I'll do the downhill to the end. Yeah, Royce and I can do marathons together. Ah, we're done. Down the hill. <laughs> and you're a winner in a half hour. This is unbelievable. Hey, yeah. There's a lot of really older folks that do the marathons. Good for them. I remember passing them at like mile 18. I think, how are you ahead of me for 18 miles? You're 98. You're older than dirt. I am so slow. They all Rosie Ruiz'd it. Yeah. All of them. Just like, all of a sudden, there's just like a fresh 90-year-old at mile 20. <laughs> hey, how you doing, Whippersnapper? <laughs> Is that how they would talk? Yes, exactly how they yeah. talk. All right. You're youngin'? Matthew Collar with some meat and potatoes, football and Vikings talk next. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 